I'm so glad to be able to have this opportunity with you. And one of the things we've been learning together is that the most important thing we can do whenever we get together is to begin our time in praise. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to give you a question that I want you to wrestle with in your house church for about three minutes. Maybe you're not meeting in a house church. Maybe you're uh, watching this just as it debuts for the first time. Maybe you're by yourself driving, walking, uh, weeks or months later. But I want you to wrestle with this question. And after I do that, Pastor Wilder will come on, greet us, pray with us, pray for us. But here's the question. Ready? What has Jesus meant to you since seven o'clock this morning? Hey, 
Welcome to Miami Valley Church. My name is Pastor Jed, and I am so thankful that you have joined us today as we go through God's Word together. I hope that you are in community in a house church. I know that we have people all over the world engaging in this, and I hope that you have a house church. I hope that you have people around you. I hope that you are experiencing community as we go through God's Word together. I hope that you've been in God's Word. We've been encouraging you uh, as we come up uh, upon the end of this year to go through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, uh, twice before the end of the year. And I hope that you are in God's word. And I hope that you are writing down the things that God is showing you and revealing uh, to you. Uh, family, how great is it going to be at the end of this year to look back on all the things that God has spoke to you, to all the things that God has spoke to us, to the verses that we can go back on and meditate and say, hey, this is how God spoke. But family, most importantly, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of God's word, that we would be obedient to the things that he's calling us to do. He is calling us to go and serve specifically uh, different people groups right here where he's placed us. And I pray that we would be obedient to follow as he leads us and as he guides us. And so uh, let's just right now, let's just pray over today's teaching. Let's pray over our hearts as we get into his word today. Almighty God, Lord, you are unlike any other God. There's no one like you. You are most powerful. Lord, you are all-knowing. Lord, you are abundant in the way that you give, the way that you love. God, your mercy, your grace that you pour out each and every day. God, you are so patient. And you are the God who speaks. You are the God who, who hears us. And so, God, right now, in this moment, we know that you are present. God, I pray that our hearts would be open. As we hear your word today, Lord, may we not just be hearers of it, but may we be obedient to the things that you're calling us to do. May we step out in faith and trust you. Lord, I pray uh, for the person today who uh, does not know you. God, may they experience you. May they experience you through community to have people around them who love them and serve them. And God, may they know how good you are and how much you love them. The way that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, for them specifically. God, may they hear that you want to know them personally. Lord, we love you. We praise you. May we be obedient to the things you're calling us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want you to grab your Bible, whether you have a hard copy or electronic version and I want you to find Exodus chapter 33 Exodus chapter 33 and believe it or not we believe I believe we're going to get through an entire chapter of Exodus today in one setting but we find ourselves in this time when Moses has become the intercessor Moses is the one standing in the gap God's people have committed this heinous act of unfaithfulness and created this idol that they began to worship while they were there at the mountain waiting for God's word to come down from Moses and God told Moses about it while he was on the mountain he said Moses I need you to stand in the gap and Moses's prayer number one was for God to grant the people favor. Last week we saw Moses' prayer number two was for God to grant the people forgiveness. And we talked about that long pause that's right there in the scripture, that dash, and asked, how did that hit you? And I would tell you that if you were to ask any of your pastors, Pastor Wilders, Pastor Mollendorf, myself, what that has meant to us, it's meant that we just need to be people who are moved to the point where we're, uh, we have the inability to move forward because we see around us, and God is putting us in places where we see around us people who are lost without Jesus, and they are struggling trying to figure this out all by themselves. 
and they need people who will stand in the gap and they need people who will speak and we have this inability to go forward and then sometimes we have this unwillingness to go forward because we know if we're going to go forward God is going to use us to tell them about his forgiveness to speak words about who he is and how he can forgive them and how he wants to love them and so we just have to have this pause I just wonder how's this pause hit you but after Moses prays this prayer he said God forgive their sins and this long pause and they says, but it's not blot me out. And God says, no, I'm not going to blot you out. That's not how this works. I still have work for you to do. I'll blot out who I'm going to blot out. But you, you now go and lead these people. And that's where we pick up Exodus chapter 33. So like I did before, I'm just going to read a few verses, make some comments, and then we're going to, to really look at Moses' prayer, which starts in verse 12. Exodus 33, starting in verse 1, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Okay, Moses, time for you to go. Time for you to leave them out. Time for you to get out and go. And Moses, first thing I want you to know is you go with my promises. You go with my promise, and it's a promise I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, go with my promise. Okay, great. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Hey, there's seven groups of people that are going to be waiting to be obstacles to you. So Moses, I want you to know, not only to go with my promise, Moses, you go with my protection. Beautiful. Let's go. Then verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Mo Moses, not only to go with my promise, not only to go with my protection, but Moses, you go with my provision. He's going to say it a different way in, in another place. He said, you're going to go into the land and you're going to live in houses that you didn't build and you're going to eat from crops that you didn't plant and you're going to drink from vineyards and vines that you didn't grow. God's got his provision. So Moses, time for you people to go. You go with my promise, you go with my protection, and you go with my provision. And then he says this, the end of verse 3, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Moses, my promise you have, my protection you have, my provision you have, but you do not have my presence. Wow. When the people heard this, that the prayer gets interrupted. This conversation Moses had with God gets interrupted because Moses, the author of the book of Exodus, wants us to know what happens, not just with him and God, but with the people. Before he tells us what happens with him, he says this about the people in verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. <laughs> See what? What happens is the last time we saw the people of Israel with their ornaments on, they took them off, they gave them to Aaron, and he made a golden calf. This is a sign of repentance. This is a sign of mourning. This is a sign where the people knew that they had done something wrong. And they knew that if God didn't go with them, if they didn't have his presence, regardless of the promise, the protection, the provision, if they didn't have their presence, his presence, they were in trouble. Verse 7, again, this prayer is interrupted. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrance to their tents. So the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Do you see what's happening here? It's what we've been talking about ever since uh, we've been seeing what God wants to do in our community of faith. That if God wants to do something in our community of faith, it has to start in our hearts.
And God began to work in the hearts of the people, the children of Israel, and they, they mourned and they wept to God. Uh, we repent, we take off our ornaments, and we, we come before you. But it doesn't just stay in their heart. Look where it goes next. It goes to their home. Where did they worship God? Verse 10 says they worshiped God outside their own tent, each person outside their own tent, because their heart needed to be right and their home needed to be right if they were going to move forward the way God wanted them to move forward. And so this seems like the children of Israel, man, they're beginning to get it. They've repented. They're beginning to worship the right way. They're beginning to have their hearts changed. They're beginning to have their homes changed. And now something's going to incredible going to happen. And then we get to verse 12, and we begin to see Moses' prayer. Moses' prayer goes like this, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring this people, but you have not let me know whom you'll send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and I've also found favor in my you've also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, so that I may know you, and so that I have that I might know that I have favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. We get to the prayer of Moses, and here in verse th he asks for two things. Verse 13, he says, Show me your ways. And then in verse 18, he's going to say, Show me your glory. To have God show us, it means to reveal something to me, teach me, inform me. God, I, I want to, to know you better. And we're going to see when he says, show me your glory at the end of chapter 33, we're going to see what happens and what that looks like. But if we're just reading uh, Exodus 33 and God, Moses says, uh, show me your ways, we want to know, did that actually happen? Did God answer this prayer? Absolutely he did. Psalm 103 verse 7 says this, God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Check that out one more time. Psalm 103:7. God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Moses said, show me your ways, and God showed him his ways. But I need you to see the difference between God showing Moses his ways and the children of Israel only seeing his acts. When we speak of God's ways, we speak of this deep intimacies. Acts speak of uh, a surface knowledge. Maybe I could put it this way, and because our broadcast goes out around the world, maybe one of the, the most famous American athletes is a guy named LeBron James. And some of you would say, even in other parts of the world, yeah, I know LeBron James. And you could probably quote for me how long he's been in the NBA. You could probably quote all of his statistics, his free throw percentage, all of those kind of things, how many championships he's won, how many championships he's lost. And by the way, LeBron James is no Michael Jordan. Just want to get that out there. But you could tell me all those kind of things about LeBron James. Yeah, I know LeBron James, but, but do you know his ways? You know his acts, but do you know his ways? Do you know what he's done or do you know him intimately? My friends, here's the difference. God showed Moses his ways and the children of Israel settled for his acts, his works. What's the difference between God's ways and God's works? First of all, it's the difference between rest and relapse. Next, it's the difference between intimacy and infatuation. It's the difference between peace or panic. Finally, I tell you the difference is it's the difference between intercession and indifference. Let me show you three things that to know God's ways, what it really means. And the first thing to know God's ways means this, to know God intimately means you know the way of rest. God says in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When Moses says, God, show me your ways, God says the only way you're going to know my ways is in my presence. The only way you're going to know is if you walk with me and if you talk with me and we have this intimate relationships and it's, and it's developing. Now, if you only know God casually or if you only see God outwardly through his acts, if you only see God's works, you'll never have rest. As a matter of fact, if you only see God's works, I can tell you with certainty, you will constantly be pushing the panic button. The children of Israel were constantly worried and constantly murmuring. 
They saw God do incredible miracles on the way out of Egypt all the way to, to Mount Sinai. They saw him open the Red Sea. They saw him give manna in the wilderness. They saw him provide water out of a rock. You'd think they'd have a heart full of rest, but they were constantly murmuring. They didn't know the ways of God. They settled for, under, for knowing the works of God. And this is so important. I want you to listen to this, Hebrews 3, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. This is God speaking. God says, your ancestors, talking about the people in the wilderness, your ancestors tested and tried me through 40 years. They saw my works. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with, this, with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. He said, for 40 years, they saw my works and they angered me because in their hearts, they settled for my works and they didn't want to know my ways. My friend, there's nothing that will bring rest to your troubled soul like an intimate knowledge of Jesus. Moses pleads, show me your ways. And my friends, that only happens in his presence. The way of God is the way of rest when we know him intimately. Secondly, to know God intimately means it's also the way of stability. We know that God provides stability. The children of Israel, when they only saw what God did and only focused on his works for 40 years, they remained fickle and they remained flighty. And it, and it, and it became... Uh, for them, it became a what have you done for me lately kind of mentality. When God opened that highway through the Red Sea, they went through with towering walls of water on either side. They got to the other side and all that water tumbled in on the Egyptians. And three days later, just three days later, after they got out, there they were in the wilderness and they were murmuring. They were complaining. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They had no stability. To know the way of God is to know his rest. To know the way of God is to know his stability. To know God intimately is also to know that his way is the way of necessity. I want you to learn this. I want you to learn this well. You can have God's promises. You can have God's provision. You can have God's protection and still not have God's presence. That ought to frighten you. It frightens me. A lot of folks settle for what people call eternal security. They say, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to know the intimate presence of God. I really don't need to work on my relationship with him. How sad is that to know about God and his works, but to never really know him. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, focusing on his works, but their heart never knew the ways of God. How long have you known about the works of God? And I just want to ask you today, are you getting intimately involved with the ways of God? That was Moses' first prayer, show me your ways. And Moses knew God because he took time to speak with him face to face. My friend, you won't get to know God intimately by simply studying about him. You'll only get to know him intimately by communion with him. You can't love a person until you know his ways. You can't know a person's ways until you spend time with him. And you can't spend time with him and really get to know them without listening to them. How many of you are in a relationship, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a fiance, maybe with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, maybe with children, and you're in a conversation and you get so frustrated and you just say to them, you weren't listening at all. How many of us is that our relationship with God? My friend, that's why we encourage you over and over again. You need to spend time in God's word to know him is to spend time with him. To spend time with him is to listen to him and to listen to him is to see what he has to say in his word. He says his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto his, our path. He said, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's our life. It's our hope. It's our vitality. It's how we get to know him. And so Moses says, show me your ways. And God's answer to him in verse 15, or Moses continues then in verse 15, he says, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. Moses says, God, you're telling me it's time for us to go. And you gave me your promise, you gave me your protection, you gave me your provision, but if we don't have your presence, I'm out, I'm not going. 
Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says, God, the thing that makes us different, the thing that makes us distinct is you are with us. It's your presence. It's your presence that makes all the difference. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 17, the very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses, we have this relationship. I know you by name. You found favor in my side. I need to say a word about favor. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And by the way, if you're falling behind on the Miami Valley sermon series through it all that Pastor Wooldridge and I are doing as we're going through all of the scripture, you can get on Miami. Uh, you can get on uh, YouTube and look for Miami Valley Church, and you can catch up. And a few weeks ago, in the first prayer, Moses, we talked about favor. But I need to remind you about favor because this word appears over and over again in the context of Moses' prayer when he says, "Show me your ways that I have found favor." That I have found favor. The Hebrew word means something that is extended from a superior to an inferior in a time of need. It's about saving, saving intervention when it matters most. 68 times in the Old Testament this word favor occurs, and it's always associated with some act of grace, some act of favor, a depiction of favor uh, from a superior to an inferior on the basis of need. It's always about someone in desperate need or someone who, who needs something they don't have. Maybe they don't even know what they need. Of the 68 times, 41 of those times and the occurrences of this word favor, uh, God is the one who has what the other one needs. God is the superior and someone else is the inferior. God has what I need, whatever that may mean, whatever that may be. And the sooner you and I recognize that he's the provider of my needs, the sooner we will experience his favor and grace. Last week, I was... Uh, put something on the internet and it got uh, on my social media and it got more traction than anything I'd done in a long time. And it was just a few words and uh, the few words, a lot of you engaged with it and some people got really worried about me. Some people got so worried about me that they contacted not me, but my wife. They sent Autumn text messages. They gave Autumn phone calls. I saw Autumn at her workplace and they said, hey, we saw that Tim posted this. Is everything okay? Is he okay? And simply what I, what I put on my social media was this. Sometimes the only thing I know how to pray is this, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. It's this prayer, it's the prayer of Moses. God, we need your favor, we need your mercy, we need you to go with us. And what was going on in my life, and that's a story for another time, wasn't really something I was walking through. I was walking with some people who were walking through something. And I knew that I didn't know what they need, but God did, and my prayer was simply, all I could pray was God have mercy. When we recognize that God's mercy, God's favor, God's grace begins with a hard understanding of our failure. When we realize that his mercy, his grace, his favor depends on our willingness not to minimize, ignore, or excuse our foolishness. I think that perhaps Moses' prayer here was when he says, show me your ways, God, show me your favor, is this, God, have mercy on me. Lord have mercy. It reminds me of Luke chapter 18 when Jesus talks about some people who went to the temple to pray. Luke chapter 18 says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, I would put it this way. We need to be able to pray the prayer of Moses. It's one we want to emulate when we simply say, 
show me your ways. And God's way is a way of mercy. And the only way we get mercy is when we cry out for it. I would beg of you, do not stop praying until you are certain God has answered you. Moses said, I'm not going to get up and go from this place unless you go with me. If you don't go with me, I'm not leaving. Psalm 123.2 says this, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, so too our eyes look unto the Lord our God till he shows us mercy. Lord, have mercy. God, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. My friend, persistence and prayer positions you and me to see God's very best. And as Moses had prayed for favor and he prayed for forgiveness, now he begins to position himself, understanding that his people need his presence and they need his mercy, or else they're not going to go anywhere else. And then he prays this incredible prayer. The first thing he says is, show me your mercy. Uh, show me um, your ways. Now in verse 18, Moses says, God, please show me your glory. This is fascinating to me. Moses is carrying the weight of the world. He's carrying the weight of this entire uh, nation of Israel, these, these people of God. Some say up to three million people that he is responsible for leading, and he bears the weight of the world. But the moment he experiences God's grace, the moment he sees God's ways, notice this, when I know, maybe put it this way, when I know the grace, the favor of God, the weight of the world lifts and shifts to the heaviness of God's glory. This is a bold request. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God's glory is all about his heaviness, his weightiness, that he's unlike any other, that there's no one like him. God, I want to be consumed by you and who you are. I've got this intimate relation. God, I want to know more. And the only thing I knew to pray when I needed mercy was, God, show me your ways. The only thing I know now to pray now, God, is, is it's all about you. God, show me your glory. When Moses prayed this prayer, God's answer is fascinating. Verse 19, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses says, God, show me your glory. I want to be consumed by you. What does God say? God says, well, I can't handle all of my glory, but here's what I'll do. I'll show you all of my goodness. Don't miss that, all of my goodness. How can you take that in, all of God's goodness? How long does that take? And Moses is way better off than we were because he's way closer to the beginning of creation. But just go back to the beginning of creation. God's going to show you all of his goodness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, and it was so, and it was good. And God said, and it was so, and it was good. At least six days of creation, he shows him his goodness. And then everything else God had done, God says, I will show you all of my goodness. Let me put it this way. God's goodness is his glory. Psalm 119, verse 68 says this, You are good, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. You want to see God's glory. Open up his word. Maybe that ought to be our prayer every time we open up God's word. God, show me your glory. The songwriter didn't say it that way. One of the songwriters said it this way, God, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. God, open my eyes that I might see your glory. So the first thing when Moses says, show me your glory, God says, I'll show you all my goodness. The second thing he says is this, I will proclaim before you my name. I will proclaim before you my name. It's in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When we get into the fourth prayer the next time we're together, we're going to look at this name even more because it's used in a powerful way. But this is the personal name of God. This is the relational name of God. But the fascinating thing about this, for the people of that time, a name represented a person's character and nature. God prom promised to reveal to Moses his character. God gives Moses not merely a, a, a title, but the character to who he is. When I see this name, I want you to know that when God used this name, it's not a noun, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action verb. And what God's saying, some people translate, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. Uh, some say, I will be known by, by what I do. But I want you to see it this way for today. 
when God shows Moses his name, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you my name. I'm going to proclaim my name. What's the name of God? Well, what's your need? That's what Moses is, that's what God's telling Moses. What's my name? Well, what's your need? And I would submit that to you today because God's word says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He's the only one who can supply your need. He and he alone is superior to everyone else. He is the one. And God says, I'll show you all my goodness and I'll show you that I'm the one who can meet my need, all your needs. I'll proclaim my name in front of you. And then he says, I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Moses, you wanna know my glory. First of all, see all my goodness. Reflect on my name that I'm the one who can meet all your needs and then leave everything else to me. I'm God, you're not. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. And then verse 20, God says this, but you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you will stand on the rock and I'll put my glory and, when my, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand and you will see my back, but not my face shall be seen. I need to talk for you for just a moment as we end today about the idolatry of the future. Look what God says one more time. I will, you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. Remember the context. As Moses is going to become the one that stands in the gap, it takes place because God's people had committed an act of idolatry. While Moses was receiving the word of God, they were there and, and they were impatient and they began to say, God, uh, uh, to Aaron, uh, make us a God. And you know what they say? Idolatry is this. Idolatry is the substitution of the devotion to something other than God. The substituting our devotion to something other than God. When God's people made this calf, this is what they said, Exodus 32, make a God for us who will go before us. A God who will go into the future. We wanna know what the future holds and this God can take us into the future. We wanna know that our future is secure. Keep that in mind as we look at this verse. When God says to Moses, you wanna see my glory? You're, you're gonna see my back, but you won't see my face. Most of your translations say back or back part. But when we examine this word, this Hebrew word, I think we find that it's a word about direction, not a body part. God shows Moses his back. What God shows Moses is actually the direction where he has been. In other words, when God's glory passes by, Moses is allowed to see where God has already been. From human perspective, God's glory is seen after the fact. Check this out. God says, I'm gonna put you in the rock, I'm gonna put you in the cleft, your face is gonna be buried in there, I'm gonna pass by. After, Moses pass, after God passes by, Moses turns around. He doesn't know, did God go from right to left? Did God go from left to right? He doesn't know, but he looks. And when he looks and he sees God, he just sees his back. And when he sees his back, the glory is so bright. I think Moses had to turn his face and he looked the other way. And what he saw was where God had already been. When God shows us his goodness, when God reveals his name, he reminds us of where he has already been. My friend, this is critically important because we live in a world where we are encouraged and we beg for a glimpse of the future because we look to the future for our security, our meaning and our significance. My friend, we live under the idolatry of evolution, thinking that the best is yet to come. We worship the future in every concern we have about tomorrow. 
The world pushes us to ask what we will become, what tomorrow will be like, and where we're going. And none of this is the direction that God wants us to incorporate into our being, into our lifestyle. God reminds Moses, look to the past. I'll show you where I have already been. And exactly the same way, God asks us to look to the past to see who we really are and who he really is and to worship him. My friend, look back to creation. God created everything and it was good and it was perfect. It wasn't lacking. But more importantly, I'd encourage you, don't just look back to the first Adam. Look back to the second Adam, Jesus. If you want to see God's glory, look no further than the cross. If you want to see who God really is, look at what Jesus did and his finished work. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My friends, if you want to focus on the glory of God, look at the places God has already been and it culminated in the cross, the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection three days later. My friends, social evolution suggests that the past has nothing to value for us because it's eclipsed by what happens today or tomorrow. And we bought into that lie. We think the real meaning of our life lies ahead, but the real meaning of life comes behind us. It's from behind us what God has already done, what he established in creation, what he did through Jesus Christ. You think you're not an idol worshiper? Look again. Look at all those things in your life that point you towards a future fulfillment, a future significance, and a future destiny. Ask yourself how many actions of yours are directed or dictated or dedicated or directed by future issues. Then read the story of the people of God. Look where God has already been and recognize who you are is settled in his plans. Stop worshiping what the world tells you to worship about the future. Beg God, show me your ways. Show me your glory. Grace and glory. Grace and glory. Grace and glory. Psalm 8411 says this, the Lord gives grace and glory. Here's what I know today. Life is personal. You have to choose ways or works. Will you, do you want to know the ways of God or will you settle for the works of God? Life is personal. Life is a process. If you want to know the ways of God, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. You being in his word and you digging in and you spending time in the word of God, getting to know him and getting to know him intimately. intimately. And finally, life is personal. Uh, life is a process and life forces a choice. My friend, you and I have a choice every single day. And Moses had a choice there. We're at a crossroads and we simply need to say, God, I know your promise. I know your provision. I know your protection. But if you don't go with me today, I just want to stay put. God, show me your ways. God, show me your glory. May I fix my eyes on Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as if the only, besought, only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. Friend, God gives grace and God gives glory. We ask him for those things today. Almighty God, take your word. Drive it deep into our hearts. May our hearts not settle for just knowing about your works, but may we seek for your ways and may we search for your glory. And may we look all the way back to what you did in creation and all the way back to what you did in Jesus and through Jesus. And God, we know you are good and all you do is good. May we rest in your goodness and your glory this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you.
Thank you. 
Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thank mm-hmm. you.
Thank you.